You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're, we're going to have the verses on the screen as well, but we're going to start in Luke chapter 3 in our series, The God I Never Knew, The God I Never Knew. And uh, this last part of the series, we're focusing in on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And so we've talked about God's presence. We've talked about Jesus calling uh, his disciples and uh, how there was greater things that he had called them to. Uh, last week, we looked at as we're filled by the Holy Spirit, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's so much more uh, that can be experienced and known. There's never a point in my relationship with God where I've exhausted all there is to know of God. Are, are you with me? Uh, there's, there's never a moment, there's always more. There's never a moment where in studying and teaching God's word now for, for me for 18 years, I've never run out of stuff to, to be amazed by in God's word. You know, the angels around the throne right now, and it says they're singing out, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This simple but powerful worship song comes as they behold a new aspect of his glory and his presence in a way they never even noticed before. There will never be a moment we run out of, uh, of amazement at who our God is. Uh, so I, I just think it's important we never get used to God. We never get used to the things of God. In fact, I think that's what uh, really the danger of religion is, is we, we reduce God to what we can understand and what we can control and what we can expect uh, in our way, in our plan, and we get used to God. We reduce God to a formula instead of a, a person to worship, a person to draw near to, to surrender to. And so I don't want us to ever as a church lose our awe of God. Uh, but here in Luke chapter 3, continuing to talk about the Holy Spirit, it, it describes at Jesus' baptism in chapter 3 and then the beginning of chapter 4. It says, when all the people, verse 21, were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son in whom, in you I am well pleased. The, we see the activity of the Trinity at work. We see the Son, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. As the Father speaks and declares identity, uh, that's where your identity comes from if you didn't know. It comes from God. It doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from who likes you, who doesn't like you. It comes from the presence and uh, the purpose of God. Uh, and here's what the Father says over the Son. You are my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And it says, verse 23, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. So this is the start of his earthly ministry. Jesus is fully God, as we talked about last week, but he's also fully man. He did that to be our sacrifice, to go to the cross, to take our sin, to take our shame, to die in our place. It was man that sinned and man that fell and sin entered into the world through man and so it had to be a man that would take our place and Jesus, fully God but also fully man, did that. But you know, Jesus also modeled for us what the normal Christian life would look like, filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. It says that in verse chapter four, verse one, describing what just happened as the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, it says then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you missed last week and catch the podcast, we talked about what it means to be filled. There's so much more of God. He wants to fill your life and fill my life. It's so vital that we are filled with him. The starting point of your relationship with God is the day you receive Jesus as your savior and Lord of your life. Life, but that's not all that God wants to do in your life. He wants to fill your life. He wants to fill you 
you with the Holy Spirit. But then the next thing that happens, it says Jesus returned from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit. First he's filled, then he's led. First he's filled, then he's led. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I want to talk about being led by the Holy Spirit today and, and especially focusing in on this one concept because I, I feel like when it comes to being led by God, there's a, there's a question that most people have and all the time I've been in ministry that's probably the most persistent question for most followers of Jesus. It's what is God's will for my life? And unfortunately, the subject and idea of God's will is something that a lot of people have approached as it's an unknowable mystery as if I can never know what God has planned or what God wants to do in my life. And if I could just give you a couple quick things, I'm gonna tell you how to know and recognize God's will in a minute. But let me just, we just sang about the goodness of God for, for that song. And can I just tell you, uh, God's will is good. So many people are afraid of really trusting God. I think the last week we talked about the importance of surrender. You don't surrender to one you don't trust. You don't surrender to God when you don't really trust him yet. And that's why I want to challenge you to get to know the goodness of God. Because when you know he's good, you won't worry about the next step. You won't worry about what's going to happen. Because he's faithful. And, and, and he's the source. And he's the answer. And as my wife shared that verse, our true life comes from him. Ephesians chapter 5, starting verse 14. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you life. Um, I, I had a conversation with uh, some of the father-in-law yesterday and uh, remembering a moment in college uh, that I was driving at an early morning class and it was the first time I really uh, recognized this, but uh, there's kind of this, if you've ever just gotten used to, you know, have you ever gotten in your car, you start the car up and you start driving and all of a sudden you arrive at your destination and don't remember the journey? Maybe you're just really tired, but you just don't remember. It's like, I know I was driving, you know, but you're just on autopilot. You're almost, you're almost in this mode. I've gone this route before. You're so familiar with it that you can do it without even really thinking through it. And many people live their spiritual life just like that. We go to church, we do all the stuff, we check the boxes, and yet there's almost this unawareness. I, I would describe it as being spiritually asleep. And so he says, awake you who sleep. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was really hard to wake up, especially when uh, I've slept through, uh, I slept through at least two or three earthquakes. I don't know how it happened. Uh, but, but I woke up and my parents said, did you feel the shocks, you know, the aftershock from that? No, I slept right through it. Uh, thankfully, I have kids that have helped me not sleep ever again. And so that's taking care of that problem. But uh, there's just this, this it, physically, when we're asleep, we're unaware of what's going on around us, as anybody who's gone to a church youth camp can remember. Uh, you're unaware about the things that are happening around you. And, and here's what happens, though. You can be spiritually asleep as well. And so when you're spiritually asleep, you're disconnected and unaware of the will of God, the purpose of God, that God wants to bring about on behalf of your life. He says, awake you who sleep. Awake you who sleep. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What does it mean to walk circumspectly? It means to walk paying attention with, with almost a, 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 when you're going about your routine, you're not paying attention to all the details. You're not aware so much of what's happening. You're just, you just follow your routines. But we have to recognize, you know, in the world, I can ask a lot of Christians, what's the devil doing? And lots of people can say, oh, I know what the devil's doing. 
I know what the enemy's doing. I know what the world's doing as it's pushing away God. I know what's happening, but so so many, not enough Christians, let me say it this way, not enough Christians know what God's doing. And I don't think it's because the devil's more active than God. I think it's an issue of awareness. It's an issue of awareness. We, we become spiritually asleep and we become dulled by a lot of different things. Uh, you know, I, I have to do this. You know, some of you are going to pray for me now as I've talked about my sleep for a minute. Uh, no, but I, I have, this has been as long as I've, you know, since I've been a kid at least, I have to put my alarm clock on the other side of the room because I get really good at hitting the snooze button. Like I'm almost, it's amazing how, you know, so, so one time I got really desperate and I had downloaded an app where you had to solve math problems to disable the alarm. Let's just say it didn't last long. <laughs> but but here's, here's what, if I can call you to something today, it's that in our spiritual life that we don't stay asleep. We don't hit the snooze button. Last week I talked about what our life is filled with. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like having our life, you know, putting gas in the tank. Because whatever fills you will fuel you. When you put a gas in the tank, it enables the car to move without you getting out and pushing. And the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is a lot like that. Get out and push. It's really hard, really difficult. Uh, but, but also, if I can add to that, that not only does what fills us fuel us, what fills you directs you. So what fills my life is what occupies my time and attention. And so if I'm not careful, that will be what sets the course instead of what God intends. And here's what the next verse says. He says, uh, don't walk circumspect or walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I don't have to convince you of that. It's just a reality. But here's what the next thing says. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul would not say this. God's word would not say this. Understand the will of the Lord if you couldn't. Hello. That word understand literally means to put the pieces together. My son likes to put a puzzle together. I don't know why. Uh, I can think of a thousand things I'd rather do than put puzzles together. But that's the picture. If it was up to me, I would have a table full of pieces disconnected, but he's really good at putting the pieces. He can see it. He puts the picture together. That's what God wants to do in your life. A relationship with Jesus enables you to put the pieces together. God helps us. There's a lot of things in our life that will not make sense until we have Jesus, until we're filled with the Spirit, until we allow God to lead instead of us always leading. And so there's a lot of pieces in your life that won't make sense apart from letting him lead. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The very next verse we, I shared with you last week, it says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, continuously being filled. So, so I don't think it's an accident that he connects. The very next verse talks about being filled right after he says, understand. So as we're filled with God, as we're filled in a relationship with Jesus, see, he doesn't want us to live our life in the dark. He wants us to know his will. I'm going to tell you how to do that in a second. But this is important because I, it's out of relationship that everything else in my life comes. Out of relationship with God that everything I need in my life comes. So in just, you know, in our culture, there's a lot of different things that kind of get overused. And because of that, in, in, in language, certain words can be so overused, they lose their meaning. And I think, you know, a real common one just because of social media is, is the word follower and the word friend. So I've got, I don't know, a couple thousand friends, and I don't know any of them on Facebook. 
maybe maybe like 10. Uh, and so so you can, you know, every once in a while on my feet, I'm like, I have no idea who this person is. You know, maybe my wife does. But uh, it's just one of those things that we can actually have a friend now that we have no relationship with. Or if, you know, the two of you who are still on Twitter, there's a, you can be a follower and have no relationship. The, the common denominator between follower and friend is there's some kind of relationship. And you know, when Jesus came to his disciples, the thing he said to them, they called them into relationship was follow me. Follow me. I, I didn't tell that last part of the story last week with Peter who had an encounter with Jesus when his, he pulled in the nets and they were full of fish. But right after that, Peter was so, uh, so touched by that time with Jesus that he was willing to leave even the harvest that he just pulled in. The greatest catch of his life, he walked away from it to follow Jesus. Because what he found with Jesus was better than anything he found anywhere else. That's what it means to follow, is to have relationship. And not only that, but to be a friend of God. Because you may not realize this, but God's called all of us to friendship and relationship. You know, Jesus told his disciples right before he went to the cross, he, he said, no longer do I just call you servants. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a servant does not know what his master's doing. In other words, a friend knows and out of relationship, God reveals himself, reveals his purpose, reveals his plan. And so let me give you a few things. Uh, number one, I have two points today, and we'll break down number one in a minute. But number one is this. You were created to know God's will. You were created to know God's will and be led by his spirit. So you were created to know the will of God. And I, I, I think this is something, tragically, religion has made an unknowable thing, but it's a reality that God wants to reveal himself and make you know his will. So uh, this is important. Colossians 1.9, Paul prayed for the church. He said, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So a couple ways, how do we know God's will? I think the first is prayer. The, the first way is if, if communication is at the heart of any relationship, and anybody who's been married five minutes knows that's true. I'm still working on my communication still. Communication's vital. It's the heartbeat of every relationship. It's no different than your relationship with God. How do you have a relationship with someone you don't talk with? And so prayer is at the heart of that. That's why times like this, we have these seasons as a church to really press into God. But prayer is a vital part of our everyday walk with God. And so use this 21 days to really posture your time and posture your heart. In fact, that's what prayer does. It positions your heart to know the will of God. Prayer positions your heart to know the will of God. And, and that's what God wants us to do, that out of relationship and out of co communication, Paul prayed for the church, and he said this, what I just read to you in Colossians, he said, I'm praying for you that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. It's impossible, I believe, to know God's will apart from prayer. But we are not only, uh, not only do we pray for that, I'm gonna pray at the end of this service, we're gonna pray for God to fill you. If you need direction, you need, you need God's wisdom. I love in James when it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, you don't know what to do. You can ask God and he freely gives it. I think our problem is we're looking to all the wrong places for the answer instead of to the one who is the answer. And when we look to him, we can ask. See, prayer, here's two approaches people have to prayer. Prayer is either the spare tire or the steering wheel. You don't think about the spare tire until you need it. You ever get the spare tire out and realize it was flat too? 
Because you didn't think about it? Okay, good. It's not just me. Okay, so, so, so but that's what happens when we, we treat prayer as a, in our relationship with God, really, we treat prayer as a spare tire, only used for emergencies, instead of the steering wheel that directs my life, that I pray first, that I go to God first. God, thankfully, has rescued me from some really dumb decisions. Well, I'd even started down the wrong direction, but to stop and go, God, I didn't pray about this. Let me ask you. And if we'll pray first, God will give us the wisdom we need. One of the ways he does that is he gives us peace. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. God's peace is like a stoplight. There's a red light, a green light, and a yellow light. If you don't have peace, do not proceed. (laughs) God's peace will direct you. The next way we can know God's will is his word. We need to know God's word. God's word, and and, and I I say it like this, we know God's will generally by his word. What do I mean by generally? There's just some stuff I don't have to ask God about because I know what his word says. Now, what do I mean by that? There's some things I don't have to wonder. God, do you want to answer this prayer? Do you want to move in my life? Do you want to heal? Do you want to set free? Do you want to see sons and daughters brought back home? What, what do you want to do, God? And because I can know what his word says, I can know God's will. I don't have to want, I don't have to ask God, should I forgive that person? <laughs> I, I should just let that sit for a few minutes. I don't have to ask God, you know, should I be thankful? <laughs> There's just some things that are clearly his will because it's in his word. And God's word reveals the nature and character of our God. And we allow, as we spend time in God's word, the Bible, and it becomes our foundation, something begins to happen. He begins to change the way we think. The Bible calls it like this, renewing our mind. Romans 12, 2 says that don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Conformity is outward pressure shaping and changing our life. That's why I've got to be careful what I fill my life with because it's either conforming me or it's transforming me. I'm either being shaped outwardly by something that isn't God or I'm being transformed by the word and presence of God from the inside out. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Can we put that up the next verse, the next part of the verse? That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So, so how do I know what's, you know, I may have a whole bunch of choices in front of me. How do I know what's God? How do I know what's good, acceptable, and God's perfect will? Well, the only way I can recognize that is by first knowing his word. And as I know his word, it helps make it a lot simpler. Now, let me just say this. The next part of this is we have the Holy Spirit to reveal God's will specifically because there may not be a chapter and verse about the decision you have to make, about the direction you have to go, or about how, how to apply that specifically. And so that's why we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in specific situations with our families and our future and our kids and our marriage and all of that. We need the leadership of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. And the Holy Spirit is actually called, Jesus described the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth who will lead you in all truth. And so the Holy Spirit will speak truth to you. And how do you know the difference between the voice of God and the voice of the enemy? Well, the voice of the enemy is always a lie. It's a voice of shame and condemnation that pushes you from God. It says things will never change. God's done with you. But the voice of truth that speaks to you and says, draw near to Jesus. 
Draw near to Jesus. It's the voice that confronts us with the error, but points us to the answer. If I just listen to my own voice all the time, I'm going to always think I'm right. Nobody else in here. Every man is right in his own eyes. That's what the Bible says. But I love the Holy Spirit's leading because he will speak truth to you when you won't listen to anybody else. But his voice is always good. And and this is so important. So, so we have the Holy Spirit to lead us specifically. Can I also say this? God will never lead you. The Holy Spirit will never speak to you or lead you in something that contradicts this. So, so that's why we've got to know God's word. How do I know if I'm hearing God's voice? We'll start with this. That, that's always, always the foundation. Um, real quick. In Acts, we won't turn there for time, but Acts chapter one, the disciples are making a decision about something. They've, they've, they've realized um, there were 12 apostles and Judas didn't make it. And so we got to replace Judas. So they're deciding on how they're going to replace Judas. And this is chapter one. Chapter two is the Holy Spirit fills the church. And they're about to do something that, this is my opinion for all the Bible scholars in the room. I don't think this was how God prescribed picking an apostle. Because here's what they do. If you don't know the story, the early church is gathering. They're like, hey, we need somebody to take Judas' spot. And so, so here's what they do. They, they say, well, let's pick a couple people who were with us from the beginning. So they find two guys, and they cast lots. It's like draw, drawing the short straw. True story. Read it. It's in the Bible. And, so, and, and it's a 50-50 choice. There's two people. And the lots fall to Matthias. And they go, He's the next apostle. Here's why I think that's not how Jesus chooses his apostles, because you never see them do it after they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Once they're filled with the Holy Spirit, every decision was started in prayer and led by the Holy Spirit. Even, even disputes and uh, disagreements, they always went back to that, and they would say things like, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Because now they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they didn't have to decide things by rolling the dice. But that's sometimes how we approach God's will. Is we, we just hope it works out. Maybe it's God, maybe it's not. I'm rolling the dice. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Instead of allowing God to speak into the situation, instead of starting with prayer, starting with God's word, and then starting with the leading of the Holy Spirit. God will confirm his will. Confirmation reassures us of God's will. Quick story, Judges 7. Gideon is uh, continuously needing reassurance. And that's okay. Like God's gonna meet you right where you're at. Gideon, every step of the way, he's talking with God and God's like, okay, you're a mighty man of valor. I'm gonna send you to take on the Midianites. Are you sure? Can you make this like, you know, dew and honey on the ground for a lambskin? And he goes through all these tests with God. He jumps through a bunch of hoops and, and uh, eventually... He starts to gather some troops together and, and God, you know, if you know the story, he whittles it down to 300 so that Gideon would know that victory would not come through his plans and his strength, but through God's. But then just before the battle, God still, or Gideon, excuse me, Gideon's still a little nervous. In Judges chapter seven, verse nine, uh, it happened on the same night, the Lord said to him, arise and go against the camp of the, uh, of the Midianites for I've delivered them into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, Uh, Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you'll hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. He went down with Pura, his servant. 
to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the people of the East, this great big army that he has to face the next day, are lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without number. It's a lot of spitting. As the sand by the seashore in multitude, when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. And he said, I have had a dream. And to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. He has his dream. And his, his, his companion who's right next with him, watch what he says. This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Okay, you may have missed this. Gideon is talking to God. God says, still a little nervous? I've given them into your hand. I've given you victory. But just in case you need a little reassurance, go down and listen because I'm going to confirm it. And he goes down. What is confirmation? It's when God puts his word that you already know in the lips of somebody else. And, and he goes down, and he doesn't even hear it from another Israelite. There's no prophet that comes and says, Gideon, you're supposed to do this. No, he hears the enemy tell his dream. And he goes, oh, we've already lost. <laughs> Gideon gets confirmation of God's will because he knows the enemy's already been defeated before the battle's already won. God confirms his word and God will confirm his will in your life. Just keep open, keep listening, keep drawing near to Jesus and let him confirm what matters. Number two is God, if God led you to it, the second point today, final point, if God led you to it, he will lead you through it. Uh, let me take you back to Luke 4. Jesus it says, was filled with the Spirit. Then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, that sounds really weird to me, if I'm honest. Because if I'm deciding for God, nobody has done this. If I'm telling God what my plan is, it's going to look like going from A to B to C. But, but Jesus goes from A, Jordan River, to the wilderness, Z. And he says in Luke 4.1 that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Remember, I told you wherever God leads you is going to be good, but I didn't say it was easy. Okay. It's not always the easiest. Exodus 13. If we could turn there too. Exodus 13. This talks about God leading Israel in their wilderness. It says it came to pass, verse 17, that it came to pass when Pharaoh let the people go. They had been slaves for four centuries in Egypt. Pharaoh let them go. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Some of you may be praying for direction or wanting, needing direction, and you're evaluating your options based on what's easiest or what's the most convenient. You're evaluating your season and wondering why God has this not happened yet. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Israel was led by God into the wilderness. And here's what happens. They go into the wilderness and it says, he didn't take them by the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. Here's why. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So it would have made more sense looking at a map to draw a straight line. But sometimes the will of God is not a straight line. But if he's good, and I'm trusting that he's good, then even when he zigs and zags, <laughs> I'm 
I know that he's bringing about his purpose. This is why this is so important. Because some of us are misevaluating the character of God based on temporary pain, temporary seasons. We're looking at what hasn't happened yet and thinking God's forgotten about us. Well, you know, I'm still single. I thought I'd be married by now. All my friends are married. Well, maybe it would have been easier to get married to that last guy, but it would have caused you to go into a battle and into a situation that you weren't supposed to be in. Because God sees down the road what you don't see. Uh, okay, come on, church. Uh, I wonder how, I, I know we get preoccupied with the battles we're in, but what about all the battles God kept us from that we weren't ready for? What about all the, thi- what about all the pits God saved us from falling into? If we only knew <laughs> that him leading would keep us from a lot of things that we never needed to be in in the first place. Okay. God said, lest the people change their minds. So here's what he does do. He led the people around. I feel like I'm just going in circles. Well, if God's leading you, (laughs) it doesn't matter if things look the way you think they should look right now. Just know he's leading you the way you're supposed to go. Because here's what my Bible says and your Bible says, 2 Corinthians 2.14. He always, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. There's no maybe, there's no, there's no subtext. Well, he only leads us sometimes in, in triumph in Christ. No, no, he always leads you in triumph in Jesus. If I'm letting Jesus lead the way, and I'm letting the Holy Spirit be the one directing, he's going to bring me through. And he's going to bring you through. I'm I'm even thankful for the situations I got myself in that I shouldn't have been that God led me through. Aren't you glad for that? Come on, church. (laughs) But he led them around. He led them around. Do you know why they needed to go around? Because God was more concerned about what he was making them into than making it easy. Because they were slaves in Egypt, but a generation later they would be conquering warriors. God would make, he would take them from being slaves in Egypt where they were dependent on the wrong source to being more than conquerors dependent on the God who was able to take down giants and bring down walls and give them their promised land. And what happened in between those two changes was a wilderness where they learned dependence on God. And here's what it looked like. We'll see in the next couple verses. It said, and the children of Israel went in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So they came in their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by night and by day. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So God in this moment is, is manifesting, or they're experiencing his presence as a pillar of cloud in the day to shade them and a pillar of fire to protect them at night. But here's the point. God's presence provided for them. God's presence protected them. God's presence led them. And God led them, but he went before them. And there's nowhere that God leads you where God hasn't already prepared the way. Where God hasn't already gone before you and made it possible for you to get through. There's so many times we step into a season or situation and go, there's no way out. No, he's made a way. Just keep following. Just keep letting him lead. God went before them. There's not a battle that he'll lead you through that you're not ready for when you've got him with you. 
Oh, church, if, if we would only catch this, we wouldn't be intimidated by the season we're in. We would know that our God will bring us through. And Israel, in that season of the wilderness, this pillar of cloud, some days would get up and move ahead. And they would have to get inconvenienced to stay close. They'd have to get uncomfortable. They'd have to rearrange their schedule. Because where the cloud went, their provision went. Where the cloud went, their answer went, their protection, everything they needed. And they were learning dependence on God. And as they did that, sometimes the cloud would just stop. And even when they were in a hurry and they're like, we got to move on. They learned that the only place to be, even if it looked like the wilderness, was the place where God's presence was. Because God can bless you even in a wilderness. And what I love about this story is the wilderness was never the end. It wasn't the end for Israel. It wasn't the end for Jesus. Jesus went into the wilderness and the enemy tempted him for 30, or for, after 40 days of fasting, he tested him and tempted him. And the devil's tests are always to destroy. Make no mistake. Can I just give you a real simple theology? I know we get goofy with stuff, but there's a bad devil and there's a good God. I don't care what they call the acts of God in insurance. There's bad devil, good God. It's real simple. God's tests are different than the enemy's tests. The devil tests destroy. God's tests are always to qualify. And by the way, they're open book. Anybody, that was your favorite test as a kid? (laughs) They're going to let me open the book and read the answers? But you and I have been given God's word, the Holy Spirit to lead us, and you have everything you need in Jesus. And the wilderness isn't the end. The season you're in, maybe you haven't defined it like that, but the season you're in right now is not the end. Last verse, Jason, if you want to come down. Luke 4.14, I want you to see what happened with Jesus after he comes out of the wilderness. He was filled. He was led. And the third thing, those of you here last week remember what it was. It says that he returned out of the wilderness. He left that season in the power of the Spirit. And it says, news of him went out to all Galilee. I I wonder how many things we're trying to make happen. If we would just put God first, he would make it happen. Jesus didn't have to advertise. (laughs) He didn't have to, no, no. Jesus comes out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. And you and I, when we come out of any season that God's led us into and led us through, you're not leaving this season empty-handed. You're not leaving the same way you came in. You're not, you're not going out the way you came in. God changes us in the wilderness to prepare us for a promised land. And no matter what your season looks like right now, God's equipping you right now. If you'll let him, he'll equip you. He'll fill you for what he wants to take you into. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down. Would you stand to your feet? There's a... There's a job I learned about when I lived in Florida. We were near Tampa Bay and they had, they have a career field. I never was an, knew it was an option, but <laughs> it's apparently really, uh, it's, a, it's, it's hard to get into, but it's one of those jobs. It's like, you know, people who make really good money for what they do, but here's what they do. They're called harbor pilots and they don't have to cross big oceans, their job is when a ship comes into port, they board the ship, 
and they set the rest of the direction. And the reason they set the direction is the harbor pilot. The reason they, like when the harbor pilot is on the bridge of the ship, nothing and no opinion on that bridge matters except the harbor pilots. So, so the guy who's been pilot, piloting the ship previously could say, well, I think we should go this way. But it's the harbor pilot who determines the course because the harbor pilot's the only one qualified to know where the shallows are, where the correct lanes are, where the hazards are that nobody else can see because he knows the waters. And so it's, it's the responsibility of the crew and the captain when they come to that port to let the harbor pilot set the course. And the reason I say that is we need to let Jesus be our harbor pilot because he sees what we don't see. He sees the hazards we don't. He sees the shallows. He knows he, his plan is for good. But it all starts with a relationship with him. And I'm gonna ask you to do this. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes right where you're at. I wanna give you an opportunity today. I wanna pray for two things. We're gonna pray for direction in a minute. I believe today God's gonna to begin to speak to hearts. He's gonna to begin to show you maybe just the next step. There's people in here you thought, I've never heard God's voice. I've never recognized God's voice. But you know, God will lead you with peace. He'll also begin to drop ideas and people to connect with and all these different things. I've had times I've prayed and I think I'm getting distracted, but it's actually God, God thoughts, God ideas. You write them down. Let God show you the next step. Someone needs to hear that right now. You've been asking for direction, but God's already giving you the direction. You're just not paying attention to it. Okay. But there's something that all of us need to know. It's that it starts with Jesus. Is he the one setting the course of your life? Is something else maybe you're trying to set it on your own. You're trying to figure it all out. Do you know the God who created you, who fashioned you, who knows you better than you know yourself? He'll put the pieces together. As my wife shared at the beginning, when we lose our life, we give it to Jesus, he gives us what our life was always meant to be. We find it. Real freedom, real hope, a real future, a real promise. If you're in here and you've never said yes to Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God, I want to give you that opportunity right now. The Bible says that God sent Jesus to take our sin, to die on the cross in your place and mine, because the problem all of us have is sin, which has separated us from the presence of God. Sin brought death into the world. We live in a world that's fallen, that's broken. But God sent Jesus to seek and save you and me. He came for you. If you never received Jesus, maybe you've been a Christian before, but you've been far from God and you've tried to take things into your own hands. And you say today, you know what? I need to go back to Jesus. If either of those are you. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.